Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I am humbled and privileged to be speaking with all of you today. It is an undeniable fact that medical professionals make the absolute worst patients. After my experiences over the past year, there's no question that I should have been forced to seek counseling services. Looking over my emails and text messages from the last 12 months has been a sort of therapy for me. I'm still way too stubborn to go see a professional, but I'm grateful for this opportunity to share my story. Some of my favorite books are when the author takes the same story and shows it from different vantage points. Obviously, no people have had the same exact experiences during this pandemic, but the storylines have been similar. The changes to routine daily life, uncertainty, followed by fear of the unknown, hopelessness, and feelings that this is never going to end. And my favorite part, heroism. Tuesday, March 10th, 2020 was an important date. It was Purim, but it was also the first documented case of COVID-19 in my hospital, New York Presbyterian in Queens. NYPQ is a community hospital. Although it is not as renowned as our parent hospitals, Cornell or Columbia Presbyterian, it is still a level one trauma center. And with 530 beds is one of the largest hospitals in Queens. It also has the distinction of being one of the worst hit hospitals early in this pandemic, as New York City itself was the initial epicenter of COVID-19 in the US and Queens was hit the hardest. In the weeks leading up to March 10th, we started making initial preparations while stocking up on masks and gloves and other PPE, all the while reading the news out of China and then Italy. But I'm going to be very honest with you. We miscalculated badly. We never dreamed that what was happening in Italy could happen by us. Call it denial. Perhaps it was hubris to think that we were so much better than these other countries. I mean, come on. We have 5G on airplanes, and nobody, nobody makes better TikToks than the good old US of A. There was no chance that it was making its way over here, and even if it did, we'd have no problem taking care of it. Those Italians are just not as medically advanced as we are. But there we were on March 10th with our first case in Queens. By Friday, March 13th, we had 20 patients admitted with hypoxemia, very low oxygen levels. We then just started to get an inkling of how contagious this coronavirus might be. I spent that morning on Friday on the phone with various doctors in and around of New York, trying to come up with a game plan. I then went door to door to the rabbis from Kew Garden Hills, my community, discussing the need to start doing the unthinkable, shut down our shuls, start having all of our prayers outside. Let's also begin to implement this newfangled idea called called social distancing. There was some minor resistance, but to their credit, the overwhelming majorities, majority of the rabbis listened. Shabbos that week was surreal. I just remember the sun shining and everyone milling around outside discussing the new measures. For me, the weekend had a strange undercurrent as I was on call from my emergency room if somehow it became necessary to get extra help. Thank God they didn't need it. Saturday night, the picture was a little bleaker, but very manageable. At this point, my cell phone was still fairly quiet. The general population had no idea of the tidal wave that was about to hit. Over the next few days, everyone started hearing the sirens all day and all night. 
Hatsola transporting the sick to the hospital. My cell phone started buzzing. Text messages, phone calls, WhatsApps. Everyone thought I knew something that wasn't in the news. On March 23rd, I wrote one of my many emails to my neighborhood. I wrote, I am writing with a sobering update. When I emailed you all five days ago, there were 50 people admitted to my hospital with confirmed pneumonia and low oxygen. There are now well over 200. The sick include a friend who is a healthcare worker who went into cardiac arrest over the weekend. He ultimately died. Many others, your neighbors, are among the patients with pneumonia and respiratory distress, friends who are admitted to the hospital and barely hanging on. Hundreds more in our neighborhood have tested positive but are not sick enough to require hospitalization. Unless you all think it's only old people, this week we intubated a 36-year-old who had pneumonia so bad on his x-ray that I usually only see this kind of x-ray on drowning victims. And yes, that's what they all look like, pneumonia all over the lungs. Essentially, we're crossing our fingers and hoping we can keep people long enough, alive long enough to get better on their own. The rest of the email was essentially me begging people to stay home. On March 29th, Shomri Hadas Funeral Home in Brooklyn sent out a plea for help, asking for anyone with a minivan to help transport the dead. The link included a video showing wrapped up bodies stacked in the morgue, the chapel, and even the hallways. That afternoon, I received a text message from the chaplain at our hospital. It was addressed to our hospital WhatsApp Mincha group. Dear fellow Yidin of NYPQ, we are in unprecedented times, and we are all called by Hashem to do unimaginable things. May Hashem give us the strength to do those things and keep us and our families safe as we do them. Given the current reality, we may unfortunately be present as one of our fellow Jews is dying. So I want to share with you some tefillos that are said with a dying patient. May we never need to, but may Hashem give us the strength to serve him properly. Unfortunately, I refer to that email often over the next few weeks. April 1st, I had a heated phone call with multiple doctors from Queens and Long Island emergency room doctors, critical care specialists, infectious disease, cardiology, pulmonary, and others were on this call. Tempers flared, voices were raised. We had no idea what we were doing. Exhausted, frustrated, scared, and humbled. A simple viral particle, and we didn't have the slightest idea how to fight it. People were dying every day. We were grasping at straws. Mount Sinai was trying cocktails of different antiviral medications, such as Tamiflu. Northwell was trying steroids. Others were trying antiparasitic drugs like ivermectin or interleukins. Hydroxychloroquine and Zithromax were touted, but subsequently showed no reduction in morbidity or mortality. We were willing to try anything to help. Then we found out that patients with COVID were hypercoagulable. This means that many people developed blood clots. I clearly remember a 29-year-old with a very large pulmonary embolus, a blood clot in his lungs. He died. We shared our successes and failures so that others can learn. Any success 
might mean saving even one more life. I was asked to give a lecture, and I remember saying at the time, Dr. Fauci is making it up every day, and so are we. It actually took all the way until October 22nd until we finally received the first FDA approval for the treatment of COVID-19, remdesivir. It took that long. Another letter to my community dated April 3rd, barely three weeks since our first case. This is Dr. Bennett again. I spent 24 of the last 36 hours in my emergency room. It is an absolute nightmare. I personally intubated three patients in just under one hour. We have over 400 patients admitted with COVID, 82 of them on ventilators. To put things in perspective, my ER, my emergency room, which is built to hold 80 to 100 patients, had 172 people admitted with COVID, crammed into spots, corners, and crevices. All of our ICU and step-down units usually can handle 50 patients, we already had 82 intubated patients and managing ventilators in the hallways. In 22 years of medicine, I've never seen the staff look this tired, physically and emotionally drained. At least twice an hour, we hear the call overhead that somebody upstairs is in cardiac arrest. This acutely exacerbates our distress. People that we were caring for are dead 12 hours later, 30-year-olds. 50-year-olds, 70-year-olds, nobody is spared. We are at the breaking point. We are out of space in our hospital. We are out of space in our emergency room. I was caring for a woman this morning with an oxygen level of 64%, and I had to have her sitting in a chair for an hour until I could find a stretcher. Multiple doctors in the hospital are out sick with the virus. The community has been sending love, food, and supplies. It is a sight to behold and it does lift our spirits. Continue the davening, continue the prayers. Don't stop for one second, but please do it from home. Do it with your children. Have us in mind, we need it. We all need it. Now I told you before that NYPQ is a 530 bed community hospital with an emergency room designed to handle between 80 and 100 patients. At its peak, we had all 530 beds full with 210 more patients in the ER, as well as other converted spaces, including endoscopy, surgical recovery rooms, and yes, even the hospital cafeteria was converted into COVID holding areas. This scene was played out throughout hospitals in New York, hospitals bursting at the seams and putting patients in any available space. I vividly remember a PA that used to work for me, calling me crying from a Brooklyn hospital as she was managing 16 ventilator patients by herself. She was not a critical care ICU physician. She was a great PA, but admitted to me that she was in way over her head and just doing the best she could because there was nobody else to manage these patients. Last night, I Googled, what is the true meaning of heroism? And Google, as always, answered me. Heroism consists of putting others first, even at your own peril. As someone who shows great courage and valor is referred to as a hero, their actions are considered to be acts of heroism. Now, I've never considered being a physician a hero. A firefighter running into a burning building is a hero. A police officer diving into, into the Hudson River to save a drowning victim is a hero. I was initially embarrassed upon leaving the hospital one night 
And there were hundreds of firefighters and police officers outside clapping for us. But it gave us chizuk, encouragement to carry on. There have been many heroes these past 12 months. I have a local dermatologist in my neighborhood, Dr. Fred Pereira, who for many weeks manned a New York City COVID hotline to answer questions from scared strangers. He couldn't be in the emergency room, but he put others first. He is a hero. All elective cases for surgery in the hospital were canceled. We had orthopedists, vascular surgeons, and other subspecialties who all came down to the emergency room to assist us. They are heroes. Pharmacists, nurses, techs, secretaries, transporters, radiology technicians, EMTs, paramedics, the list goes on. Countless heroes, not just putting their lives on the line, but their lives on hold. I know of multiple Hatzalah members sleeping in the basement of their homes, staying away from their family for weeks at a time so as not to infect them if they became ill, all so that they would be available to help our community. They are heroes. Hugarn Hills raised $50,000 in four hours at my mere suggestion that if we buy oxygen concentrators, we can keep the moderately ill at home as opposed to transporting them to the hospital. Within a few short days, we had an entire operation up and running with oxygen being delivered to people's homes on Pesach, on Shabbos. Patients were given pulse oximeters and even 24-7 telemedicine was made available. I am certain we saved a number of lives through this program. I would be remiss if I didn't publicly thank Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt, not for, fl- not for glory, nor fame, nor money. He made himself available to me with any questions I had so that I could help guide my community. He stuck out his neck, giving the best advice he could with the information available at the time. He is a hero and should be blessed with many more years to help Klal Yisrael. Early May and June, we started to have some hope. Community awareness coupled with social distancing helped flatten the curve. The number of admissions and deaths trended downward. We heard less sirens in the street. In the hospital, we learned that putting people on respirators, although often a mainstay for respiratory distress, actually increased mortality in COVID patients. Proning, laying people on their stomachs, and high-flow oxygen seemed to save lives. We were finally able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Although we experienced a second wave in September, at least here in New York, we were better prepared. The community, the community was better educated, and it wasn't as devastating as those initial weeks in March and April. I'm going to end off with my last letter that I sent to my community, dated May 7th. Welcome to our new world. I truly believe we have turned a corner here in New York. Hospital admissions are down, and the number of deaths are declining each day. I wish I could unsee many events from the last few weeks. I've watched 30-year-olds come to my emergency room and die within hours. I've said vidoy, confession, with virtual strangers and watched them struggle with their last breath, all alone with nobody at the bedside other than myself. I've witnessed friends and neighbors die while helplessly looking on. We have buried the best of the best of our community. I've had episodes of soul-sucking crying, enough times that my family and office staff were worried that I was having an emotional breakdown. 
I've also seen amazing things. Communities have come together to arrange food deliveries for people unable to get out. We've delivered oxygen to those sickest of patients and allowed them to stay home and survive. Hatzalah, Shomrim, and other organizations have stepped up and met the challenge head on. I am privileged to be part of the medical community that has persevered despite emotional and physical hurdles. March 10th, 2020, until today, March 7th, 2021, one year later. The world has changed and it's never going back to exactly the way it was. Over two and a half million people have died worldwide from COVID-19. We forget how scared we were and we forget how little we knew. But as my grandfather always said, the Abish to fear the Welt, Hashem runs the world. We should all continue to have the strength to be his messengers, to be a beacon of light for others, to always be on the giving end. And that's a chush, we should all be healthy. And Hashem should help bring Mashiach soon. Thank you so much for your time.